This podcast is brought to you by the American Enterprise Institute. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. Thanks for listening. Here's our show. What the hell's going on? What the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? I don't know what the hell he's talking about. You don't have to know what the hell is on it. What the hell's the matter with these guys? We don't know what's going on. What the hell's going on? Who in God's name knows what it's all about? Hi, I'm Danielle Sutka. And I'm Mark Teeson. Welcome to our podcast, What the Hell is Going On? Mark, what the hell? We're talking about whether Donald Trump is the inevitable nominee of the Republican Party and whether all these people who are getting in the race or thinking about getting in the race are just spinning their wheels. The Trump train has taken off again, that he's going to be the nominee, that it's inevitable. And I, as you know, Danny, I am not hostile to Donald Trump. I think we have probably have a divided group of listeners, some who are fans of Trump, some who voted for Trump, but are concerned with his behavior, some who are never Trump. I'm not in the never Trump category. I think that he had a very successful presidency in a lot of ways, but I think that he's likely to lose. And the record shows that he has not done well in the polls except for 2016. And so, you know, can we move on? Can we find a nominee who is going to be able to take on Joe Biden, and if he, assuming he's the nominee, and actually defeat him? Uh, I don't know. What are your so, thoughts? So, I mean, I, I think that this is a much more complicated thing than that we're thinking about at this moment, because the Trump coalition is not simply Donald Trump and the sort of hardcore MAGA crowd, as people like to say. The Trump coalition is Trump his most loyal supporters, probably, you know, 20% of GOP voters, the Democratic Party, and the Democratic media. And, I mean, please don't underestimate that. They want him to be the nominee, right? So it is a very potent coalition of people who want Donald Trump to be the nominee, not because they think Donald Trump is the best person for the United States of America, but because they think he'll lose. And if people would wise up to that, much as in the same way that they realized that the Democratic Party was putting money behind Trump candidates in the 2022 midterm yep. in order to promote them, in order to see them lose. And it was what? Great investment. Yeah, absolutely shameful and absolutely ruthlessly effective. All those mega candidates that they funded to the tune of tens of millions of dollars, Democratic Party, they all lost. And Democrats won those seats. So I guess the question is, whose game are we playing? You know, and this is a question that I increasingly ask in these years. It is, are we voting and talking about the issues that we believe in that are important to us? Unemployment, weak national security, a failing Pentagon, no immigration policy, letting China eat our lunch, not standing up to Putin. Are we going to vote and talk about those issues that we care about, or are we going to allow the field to be dictated by people who want us to talk about what Matt Gaetz's priorities are? Yeah. Seriously. And the, the other thing is, if you look at the serial disasters that Biden has unleashed, I mean, on foreign policy from the from the debacle in Afghanistan, worst inflation in 40 years, worst collapse in real wages in four decades, worst border crisis in American history fentanyl pouring over our borders, crime in, in our cities, the worst crime wave since the 1990s. I don't think a, any president, including Jimmy Carter, has unleashed as many debacles on a country in, in a single term as Joe Biden has. Can we afford 
to take the risk of losing to that guy the way we did it. I mean, in everyone vanity, was waiting. In a vanity exercise, in order to stroke the vanity of a candidate who believes he and won can the we, last And election. can we look at 2022, where we were supposed to have a red wave, and think, and then it never materialized, and listen to the message from the voters. They don't want people whose number one priority is defending Donald Trump's victory in the 2020 election as their candidates. They want forward-looking, optimistic, problem-solving, conservative solutions. If you just look, just look at the candidates who won in 2022 and look at the candidates who lost. Right. I mean, the governors, DeSantis, uh, uh, Kemp, DeWine, Sanunu, uh, all, all these governors. Well, Youngkin wasn't on the race in 22, but, right. yeah, but, but in the right. same category. All those people won. And some of them in fairly, you know, purple states. And who lost? Right. It was all the Trump-backed nominees who were backward-looking. And so Listen. the voters have made it very clear what kind of candidate they want from the Republican Party. And the question is, are we going to give it to them or are we not? Right. And I think we need to ask the right questions. You know, is it more important to relitigate the 2020 election or is it more important to get standards back in our schools, yeah. you know? Let's go back to having SATs and not having drag queen hour. You know, and I realize these are sort of cheap ways of putting this debate, but at the end of the it's day... It's very realistic. That, it's actually, that, exactly I, what happened. It, it's, <laughs> well, and, and really, that's true. That's happening in Fairfax You saw the family. other day, DeSantis, they were reading some of the books in school to make the point, and the TV cameras cut out because it was so the material was so inappropriate that they couldn't broadcast it in the middle of his press conference. Right. I mean, that's what we're talking about. Exactly. Do you want to stop that, or is, it, is this all a loyalty test to Trump? Look, I could understand if Trump were super popular throughout the country and there was just a segment of the Republican Party that didn't like him, but he was the best candidate to win, then okay, I could see the argument for it. But he is not the best candidate to win. Time, and it is, it is time to go back and start winning again. We have had three election cycles where the Republicans have seen their lunch eaten and there's one man responsible for that. People have to decide whether they want to win or they want to lose. When I look at the Republican leadership right now, you know, I'm not entirely sure where they stand on this question. I'll be perfectly frank with you, but I think it's very interesting. And as we move closer and closer to the 2024 primaries and the election season and the debates, this is going to become more and more important. And the other thing we need to remember, Danny, is that we don't need Trump to have Trump's policies. You know, that I defend Donald Trump's record in the Oval Office to this day. I think that he did an enormous amount of good things. I mean, the Operation Warp Speed, the Abraham Accords, I mean, I can go on and on. Energy independence, the, you know, wiping out ISIS in, in Syria and Iraq, taking out Qasem Soleimani. He did so many good things as president. His, the reason why he is unelectable is because he never talks about that. He talks about the fact that he was the election was stolen he from him. He, 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 he likes to rest his if, record on the proud boy. If he had just said, I will not accept that I lost the election, but I'm going to have a transition of power and hand over the presidency in a dignified way, and then spent the last two years talking about his, talking record. About his record and comparing it to the disasters that were unfolding from the Biden administration and say, do you miss me yet? Do you miss me yet? Yeah, do you miss me yet? He would be headed towards a, a historic comeback and winning the presidency, but he is incapable of doing not, that. That's and not so the person need, he is. And so what we need to find out as a party is, is there somebody who could do that? Right. <laughs> is there somebody in our field? And the truth is, we have an embarrassment of riches. We do. We have, it, we have so many great candidates that can take up this mantle. Why would we saddle ourselves with the candidate least likely to defeat Joe Biden? Well, 
What an excellent question. And to address that most excellent question, we have our recidivist guest, who is one of the most astute political analysts and advisors. She really understands the game of politics as well as the business of politics, but most importantly, perhaps also the morals of politics. Karl Rove is a former deputy chief of staff and senior advisor to President George W. Bush. He wrote a wonderful book called The Triumph of William McKinley and another called Courage and Consequence. Like Mark, he's a contributor at Fox News, and he's a columnist at the Wall Street Journal. Here's our interview. Carl, welcome back to the podcast. There we are. We're back. Excellent. We're so happy to have you. So here's the question for you. Is Donald Trump inevitably the nominee of the Republican Party in 2024? No. And tell us why. Well, let's start off. He could be. Yes. But I think, look, the people who are enthusiastic about him have dropped dramatically since before the 2022 election. And the fact that people like Ron DeSantis, about whom we really know very little, I mean, the amount of information that people have about him outside Florida is relatively minimal. He was a successful governor of Florida. Florida seems to be prospering, and he's the governor, therefore, you know, and he seemed to get involved something with Disney, and that we think he did was doing the right thing there. But that's about it. And yet he's competitive with Trump. So, and others can become. He is the front runner today, but he's in weaker shape than he was six months ago, and he was in stronger shape six months ago than he than, than he was today. And similarly before that, six months before that, he was even stronger. So I have a bunch of logistical questions, actually, about the field and the race. But the first question I want to ask is, the New York Times reported this week, with great glee, I should add, that Donald Trump, it looks like he's about to be indicted, unbelievably over the Stormy Daniels payoffs. I mean, geez, Louise. Anyway, setting aside the merits of these particular legal cases, mightn't that help him? Oh, it will. Yeah. It will. It'll cause a rally around the flag effect. You know, tr- Trump has, a, a, let's not kid ourselves, he has a stronghold on, a, on an element of the Republican Party, basically, you know, non-college educated Republican primary voters. But on the other hand, you know, it's it's based on we, we like what he did, but we don't like how he did it. You know, and so if somebody can say, I'm painting an, a, a vision of what it is that I want to do that, that finds favor with you, and I can do it in a way that causes people to say, you know what, we can turn the page on that guy and get somebody who can serve the country for two terms in order to advocate the kind of policies we want. Because, look, one, one of Trump's weaknesses is that he's focused on the past. He can't help himself. He gets up there and begins to say, I won, I won no big, and millions of votes, tens of millions of votes. It was so beautiful. And, and people, <laughs> I and wish people, everybody could see your face. And, you don't really do, you do the facial expression yeah. as well. And, and, but people are getting over that. But the other thing is, is that, is that they really want somebody who can help bring about changes. And one of the weaknesses he's got is that, like it or not, he can only serve one term. The idea of having a younger, more vital, more energetic person who's going to be able to serve legally two terms, uh, and rather than being if he were to get elected, which I don't think he would get elected. I mean, the same problems that he had in 2020 when he was incumbent are still there today, and if anything, magnified. And that means it's going to be difficult for him to win, even against a damaged creature like Joe Biden, if if it is Joe Biden. So, yeah, no, he's he's it's not going to be easy. And, and you, if you were betting today, you'd have to give him, you know, a good chance of winning the nomination. But time is not his friend, and there will be time between now and the time uh, of uh, when people go to vote. And in Iowa, he's had a weakness in the past. New Hampshire, he could have problems with. 
you know, Nevada, South Carolina will be a place where he'll have some strength. But but the bar is going to be set so high in South Carolina. Last time around, he had the benefit of a field that was still 16 or 17 candidates at that time. So nobody hit the 15% trigger that allowed them to get delegates, and he walked out of the state with all 50 some of them. That ain't going to happen this time around, even in a state where he was as strong as he was last time. So how, how do we avoid the situation that we had in 2016, which is that Donald Trump, he won you know, New Hampshire with 35% of the vote. He won South Carolina with 32% of the vote. He basically won the nomination. It wasn't until New York, where there are only two candidates left, that he got he ever hit over 50% in a primary, right? Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. It's like, well, how do we avoid a situation where we have this divided field and he wins with a plurality? Well, um, people recognize that that was his strength. So uh, I hear this from party officials, activists, donors, you know, basically saying we got to have a more limited field. And, they, and you hear from the candidates. They recognize it. People are saying to them explicitly, I'm willing to write you a $3,300 check and good luck to you, but I'm waiting to see who shows what they've got, that they've got what it takes to win. And then I'm going to open my wider network and my bigger pocketbook, or I'm the party chairman. I mean, there was a survey done recently, of I think like 3,000 party leaders. And I mean, there's a sense of we want to win. And he's he's a guy who could well lose it just like he did last time. It's funny, Larry Hogan, and I know you won't mind me repeating this because he's already made his decision, but Larry Hogan and I were on Meet the Press together, and we were talking outside the, the studio, and one of the reporters who was also on with us asked him, if you thought that adding to the field was going to strengthen Donald Trump, would you take yourself out of the running? And he said, Yes. And then like a week and a half later, he, in fact, did that. I mean, I don't think he could have won, but it goes to what you said. Well, and look, there's a recognition. I've talked to several candidates. It's a recognition that they better be able to demonstrate that they've got what it takes or they should get out of the race. Will will they have the self-discipline to do that? (laughs) I I, I don't think it's going to be just the self-discipline. I think it's going to be the discipline of a political marketplace where a large number of the players are saying, you know what? We cannot afford to have him. I mean, think about this. Yesterday or this past week, we had two of the first members of Congress to endorse him, uh, both Pennsylvanians, Barletta and, and Marino, who said, we're for Ron DeSantis. These are two of the people who stepped forward at the very beginning and, you know, and, and were with Trump. And there are more people like that out there because they want to win. And they recognize that he was he lost in 2020 and then in 2022, the candidates whom he fully embraced and threw his arms around and who echoed his approach tended to lose and lose badly. And if they won, to trail the rest of the ticket. The key example being uh, Ohio, where Mike DeWine, the traditional Republican, wins by 27 points. And J.D. Vance, the, uh, Trump, the Trumpian Senate candidate, wins by seven. Yeah. There was a poll the other day, USA Today poll, showed that two-thirds of Republicans want somebody other than Trump who would continue Trump's policies. And like a third one would prefer Trump to be the nominee. So the vast majority of Republicans think that Trump's policies were great. They liked the direction he took the Republican Party. They thought their lives were better under Trump. They thought we were stronger on the world stage. Whoever's going to win this is not going to be a never-Trumper, are they? It's, no. it's going to have to be somebody who is going to carry on the Trump policies. And, 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 and how, do you, how do you weave that, that well, needle to and, the Remember, it's less the specifics of the policies than the end result. We were energy independent. We got conservative judges. He cut taxes. He strengthened the military. And, you know, sort of the, the, the things that have buoyed him in the minds of many people 
are, are things that are traditionally Republican that just simply associate with him because he pursued them. You know, he got tough on China. But as to the intricacies of the policies behind getting tough on China, they can't tell you what it is, in part because he can't tell you what it is. I'll ask you a question. What's the number one problem with China that we face economically? Economically? Yeah. That they're stealing our intellectual property. And what did the administration do about it? Nothing. This is the one issue on which, you know, if, if we have a candidate who steps forward and says, we face two big challenges from the, the Chinese. One is militarily, and we need to strengthen our, de- our defense budget in order to, to guarantee that they, they, that they cannot uh, do what they want to do in the, in the Pacific. And the second issue, the number one economic issue, is they're stealing our intellectual property, and we will rally the world, all the, uh, the Japanese, the Germans, the South Koreans, everybody whose intellectual property is being stolen, and we will enforce upon China a discipline that they can no longer do that. That, that would be a person who would be seen as, quote, pursuing Trump's policies, but in reality, they'd be pursuing a policy that he never bothered to, to, to prioritize. So you talk about Republicans sort of seeing the light, if you want, you know, that they want to win and they want Trump's policies, but, but not Trump, as, as Mark described it. And yet, when I look at the post-2022 decision-making of senior Republican leaders, what I see is not that. You know, Axios had a piece last week, and I don't always agree with their political coverage, but they had a piece that resonated, which was, every time January 6th seems to fade out of the news, the Republicans come back to remind everybody, hey, this is really an interesting issue we ought to pay attention to. So Kevin McCarthy makes the decision to hand off this footage to Tucker Carlson, like him, don't like him, Mark knows what I think about this. But all of a sudden, it becomes a big controversy again. Do Republican leaders actually really get that we need to move on? Oh, sure. I think so. And of course, I don't know the, the thought process behind releasing 40 hours of footage to Tucker Carlson, who then proceeded to, to take out the you know less than an hour worth of footage of people calmly gathering on the, uh, on the Capitol grounds and left out. Uh, a thousand people committing acts of violence that got them arrested and a hundred police officers getting the hell beaten out of them and people smashing the doors and windows of the United States Capitol in order to gain illegal access to the Capitol and threatening members of Congress and defecating in their offices and attempting to upset and, and stop a constitutionally mandated session of the United States Congress. All that failed to make an appearance in that program. And that to me was horrendous. But do I think that this is going to be the issue that Republicans are going to waltz into 2024 by saying our issue is January 6th? Maybe Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates, but I bet you a dime to a dollar it ain't the Republican presidential front runners. I hope not. So you have been the architect uh, of two presidential victories. To quite a phrase. To quite a phrase. <laughs> if you were advising a candidate on how to beat Trump, what is the strategy? Well, first, Republican candidate. Yeah, yeah. first of all, you have to have a sense of who you are and what you want to make the core of your presidency in a way that's authentic and compelling and personal. That is to say, there's no you can't simply sort of, sort of say, I'm going to go down to the issue store and buy a bunch of things off of the shelf that, that I think will, quote, be the Trump agenda. You've got to have your own agenda, but it's got to be an agenda that appeals to people who voted for Donald Trump last time around. Second, somebody needs to say, with all due respect, I want to serve the country for eight years as president of the United States. And with all due respect to Donald Trump, even if he could get elected, which is a big question, all he can serve is four more years. Somebody's going to have to lay out their own agenda mm-hmm. and, and, then, and, and be authentic about it. And part of that agenda has to grab people. Remember what they're interested in. 
They want they want their taxes kept low. They want America to be strong on the stage. They want energy independence. They want somebody who's going to take on the nuttiness of the progressive left when it comes to things like you know transgender and education and so forth. But they want to know who you are. If you're authentic about it, they're they're going to be more likely to to say you're the alternative I want. But at some point, they're going to have to take on Trump. They're going to have to find ways to say, you know what, with due respect to the former president, he failed to take on China on the, on the number one economic issue we face, which is they're stealing our intellectual property. They're stealing the way that we make things and, and the things that we make. And, and, he, and he cut deals with them that they've never lived up to and haven't been penalized for, even while he was president. They promised to buy all this grain and, and uh, American farm produce and, and simply didn't. So we got to get tough with the Chinese, and that means working with our allies around the world to strengthen the concern that people have about the, the, the activities of the Chinese economically and militarily. But they've got to find ways to, to go after them and say, with all due respect, you know, we saw what his kind of politics and the focus on 2020 uh, goad him into defending that he won in 2020, because that's I, I think a lot of people are just done with that. Whether they think there were funny things that happened or not, he had a shot at 62 law cases of, of proven what he what he claimed, and he couldn't. And as a result, he he pursued that issue in 2022. And the candidates who joined him in denying the outcome of the 2020 election lost vital races that put the Democrats in control of the Senate and cut our margin in the U.S. House to a slim majority. Look, you know that is a very effective argument, I think, for somebody who can make it in a way that is persuasive and and articulate. I actually. I think this is one of the reasons why Ron DeSantis has so much juice right now. Mm-hmm. It's because, first of all, he doesn't let Trump lead him around by his nose, right. which I think is really important. Because, you know, that little Marco, low energy jab, all of that, right. when you let it stick, when you let it bother you, as they obviously did, uh, it was an issue. He's not managed to make anything stick yeah. on DeSantis. Well, in part because you, I think Trump is losing his edge on, on his, uh, labels. I mean, Ron Sanctimonious is not exactly the most effective label. <laughs> I mean, my, my theory is he's on his meatball Ron. Yeah. What, what yeah. does that mean? Yeah, I have no idea. But, but <laughs> <laughs> low energy, basically three syllables. Little Marco, three syllables. Sanctimonious Ron. I mean, you know, too many syllables. But here's the, but isn't this a, there a difference? Is that MAGA world, the people who supported Trump, they didn't love Jeb. No, they they did they didn't love Marco. No, they love Ron DeSantis. Yes, they do. And and there are people who, when he attacks them, he can't attack him the way he did them because he turns off his own base. Because they look at DeSantis, even if they're torn between Trump and DeSantis, they look at DeSantis as the future one day. Right. right? Sure. So he's in a box a little bit. Isn't oh, he? he's in a big box. And look, the the biggest box he's in is what is this all about? You know, there there are two there are two theories. The one theory that he's trying to put out in these little videos that he does about issues is that this is about the future of the country. But when he stands up to speak, we know what it's really about. It's I'm angry. I'm resentful. I'm filled with rage. We're going to have retribution against the people who have wronged me. And, and the election was stolen. One of them sitting right here. Exactly. According to, according to his feedback speech. He's a total loser. Everybody knows Rove's a loser. Rhino. Rhino. I love being called a rhino by a guy who supported John Kerry for president and generously <laughs> contributed to make Nancy Pelosi Speaker of the House in 2006. And in March of 2007, when I asked how she was doing, was said she was doing a terrific job, except she hadn't done enough to impeach George W. Bush. And he's calling me a rhino? <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, yeah, history, is a, history is a powerful indicator of what people are like. Yeah. So I want to ask about my pet topic, because this is an area where I started to worry about 
Ron DeSantis, perfectly, frankly, which is on this question of Ukraine. I realize that most Americans are not national security foreign policy voters, except when we're attacked. And so I get that that's not going to be decisive for most people unless something changes between now and the election. That being said, we had Hugh Hewitt on, love Hugh, and he said, he said, on the primary stage, when they're debating, and, and Nikki Haley and Mike Pompeo and Mike Pence say, we have to stand up to Vladimir Putin, are the others really going to say, no, you know, we need to protect the border, not stand up to Vladimir Putin? And the other one say, shouldn't we do both? Yeah. I mean, I'm really worried about this, actually. Yeah, I, I am too. Um, uh, I went to Kiev for the first time in 1993 and been back four times since. And uh, this is this is a gigantic threat to the West. And uh, the victory of Vladimir Putin in Ukraine would uh, not be the end. It would be the beginning. And uh, he told us so in July of 2021 with this uh, you know, 7,000, 8,000 word statement where he says basically part of Slovenia, part of part of uh, Poland and all of the Baltics are really traditionally Russian and belong to be reunited, should be reunited with Mother Russia. So uh, this would be a problem, a huge problem if he were to, to, to win. But it, in the meantime, it is also a problem of authenticity for, for uh, Ron DeSantis. Go back to his appearance at Emory Riddle University in his district five years ago or six years ago, in which he basically says we need to arm the Ukrainians because Putin is a threat. And if he, if he if he's being too cute by half by now, sort of saying, well, you know, no blank check and sort of, you know, sounding like he's against aid to Ukraine. One of his great strengths is that people look at him and say what he is, he believes. And if suddenly you have this, uh, you know, I used to say this, but now I say that, and he can't have a plausible explanation of why he no longer sees Putin as a threat, then this will go to one of his great strengths, which is credibility. People, people become leaders by leading, which means that they cause people to, to not simply say, oh, that guy confirms my beliefs, but says, you know what, he's, he's told me something I need to know and follow, and this is going to be a test for him. This is a broader problem for the Republican Party right now with, with yes. Ukraine, because as I was pointing out the other day uh, in one of our sessions here, that uh, it, when in March of last year, 80% of Republicans wanted to arm Ukraine, right. and it's now down to 48%. Right. Uh, in, in, in some polls, it's still above majority, but it's, it's d- declined significantly. And we've got a bunch of Republicans who are channeling their inner Ted Kennedy from the 1980s. Oh, they're, they're inner you know, George McGovern. They're yeah. inner George McGovern. You know, they, what did Democrats do in the 1980s? They opposed the Reagan defense buildup. Right. They opposed aid to freedom fighters. Right. And they I said remember, Ronald Reagan was going to start World War III. And, and the, I said to Mark, remember this? You know, remember in the 1980s, people said, what do we care about Afghanistan? Who cares whether the Russians take over Afghanistan? What do we care about El Salvador and Nicaragua? What do we care about those stupid countries? And the answer is, it's not about those countries. And this is exactly the same. Or how do we thread this in the primaries coming up? Well, we, we need to make the moral argument, which is what Reagan made, was the moral argument yeah. about the defense of freedom. But we also need to make an argument that it is in our self-interest. Yeah. A Europe dominated by Russia is not good for the United States. It's not good for our jobs. It's not good for our economy. It's not for our trade relations. It's not good for our stature in the world. It's not, it's not good. Do we really want to take a significant trading partner in the United States and make it less attractive to trade with America and more attractive to trade with China and Russia? Because that's what, that's, that's what would happen. 
if, if Russia becomes to dominate Ukraine and threaten our Atlantic relationships, and, and you know, do you think Germany is going to be importing liquefied natural gas from Louisiana, or are they going to be importing it from from Moscow? You know, are they are we going to have greater trade relations with Europe uh, if 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 they're threatened by Russia? Uh, and, and Russia is menacing their borders, or are we going to have less trade with Europe? And the answer is it's in our self-interest, let alone the moral obligation that we have to defend democracy and freedom and to, to oppose nations that unilaterally take, the, take it upon themselves to decide what the boundaries of their, of their, uh, of the, of their regions are going to look like. Really, we, we think it's going to be advantageous to us if China takes South Korea. Is it advantageous if they take Taiwan? Is it advantageous if they threaten India? All of these things will have economic implications for the United States as well as very dramatic security concerns for the United States. I really worry about that because I was hopeful that uh, that DeSantis would be that leader. And still I, could be. Still, still could be. Still could be. It has plenty of opportunity. And certainly, go back and look at that footage. That's the, that's that's music to the uh, to our ears. I mean, yeah. he, you know, he was defending Reagan and defending, uh, you know. The, raising warnings about Putin and, and, and literally saying we must arm the Ukrainians. Now, he was just at the Reagan Library was citing, you know, Ronald Reagan said in the Cold War, we win, they lose. But at the same time, he did not use that opportunity to make a forthright statement on that question. And I guess what I ask myself about Republicans, you know, you, you've heard me before, and I've said this in previous conversations, even among us, is, is this willingness to be led by the loud, you know, as opposed to the important right. or the powerful, you know, Lauren Boebert, who won by, you know, what, one vote. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's uh, certifiable. You know, yeah, I, 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 I dissent from that because I've got to tell you, I, I don't understand why you don't share my concern about Jewish space lasers. She's at least had the courage to stand up. <laughs> if and, we and gave Jewish with, space lasers to Ukraine, she yes, might be barred along. Yeah, might be barred along. They, they need they, every weapon yeah, possible. Yeah, they, they could, they, that means that they would <laughs> no longer be starting forest fires in northern California if we had the Jewish space lasers doing something with Russia. Exactly. <laughs> no, but... The, it actually is a, a much more serious question yeah. that I think doesn't yeah. get asked enough, which is, really? You're letting them set the sure. agenda? Well, remember, I, I mean, I've got a slightly different view. Yes, they're setting the public agenda on cable TV and among a part, certain part of the conservative uh, you know, echo chamber. But you go talk to the ordinary Republicans in Congress and they say, who are those people? You know, I'm sick and tired of having them you know, have Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene be seen as the face of our party, or Lauren Boebert to be, you know, screaming there, you know, taking a safe, the second most Republican district in Colorado and almost throwing it away. So I, I'm sort of, they're getting emboldened. Good. And, and I, th I think we're likely to see that. But it will not stop those voices. Because remember, when Matt Gates says something outrageous, the mainstream media is more than willing to give him a voice. A platform because they know that it discredits the rest of the conservative movement and the rest of the Republican Party. When Lauren Boebert Laura, or, or Marjorie Taylor Greene say, you know, she goes out and says, you know, we ought to, you know, let let the country divide. They're happy to put anything that discredits us. They're happy to to, to draw attention to. So they're not that problem's not going to go away. But on the other hand, I think it, I think it's going to. How many people immediately rush to? support the Marjorie Taylor Greene's suggestion that the country divide. No, she got criticized. And the, and the, and the more the merrier, frankly. Yeah, well, that's true. It takes courage. 
So where else is Trump vulnerable? If you're, if you're giving uh, giving some advice to DeSantis or somebody else, if you were saying you're going to have to engage at some point, where do you hit him? Well, the counterpunch is always stronger than the punch. Okay. So wait let him come. Yeah. Wait, wait, and, and counterpunch. But once you st- once you open it, don't stop. Keep counterpunching, which is why I think the idea of, of, of finding a way to put this in the context of electability. You know, we saw what happened when he put the focus on 2020. And the candidates who followed his lead lost. You know, he says that he's the toughest on China, but they're going to be able to criticize him for having failed. The deals that he cut did, did not result in more purchases of American farm products. We're, we're, we're selling less to him today than we were when, before his agreements. And more important than that, he ignored the important thing that we need to worry about, which is they're stealing our ideas. The things that have made us as a country stronger, more prosperous and safer, they're stealing and he did nothing about it when he was there. Talked a good game. Appreciate him raising the issue. But about getting good things done there, it didn't happen. How about the fact that he told us we'd be winning so much we'd be sick of winning and we're yeah. obstacle loose? Oh, sure. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Well, that's, that's what the, I think this argument of, look, we've gone down his path. We got, we, he won in 2016, and, and we went down the path with him in 2018, where we lost, and 2020, where we lost, and 2022, where we should have won more, a lot more. We lost the Senate. We, we lost, lost the Kansas, Senate. Yeah. And, we lo- and we lost House races we should otherwise have won because he endorsed candidates like the nut in, in Ohio turned out to be a liar about his so-called combat record. He wasn't a combat veteran. He was a loader on the flight line and cutter for four months. And that guy got, got, got the Republican nomination for one reason only, which was Donald Trump endorsed him. Same thing happened in New Hampshire. Same thing happened in a district in Washington State. Same thing happened in a dozen races around the country which meant we, we, we would have won the House by 20 seats, not by five. Could a candidate credibly argue that all the spending that we've experienced for the last couple of years is a result of Donald Trump's failures at the polls? Well, they, they, we lost the we lost if, we, if Democrats had not won the majority in the Senate, you would have never had the American Rescue Plan. You would have never had the Inflation Reduction Act. You would have never had this miasma of spending yeah. and all the rest of it. We probably wouldn't have inflation sure. like we do Absolutely. today. Absolutely. If we had not lost control of the Congress because of his actions as president and his failure as the leader of our party, then, yeah, the country wouldn't have been subjected. We can, they can also, somebody might be gutsy enough to say, you know, with all due respect, you were the guy who presided over a $3 trillion COVID relief bill in which hundreds of millions of dollars were stolen in unemployment benefits by people in prison and by crooks because you didn't put in place the regime to make certain that, that crooks couldn't steal money. And you're the guy who then put piled on as you were leaving office. You wanted to give one last burst of spending. And, and, and of those three point something or other trillion dollars, 500 billion of it is still not spent. Yeah. And you're the guy who presided over that. Now, maybe we needed to spend money there, but, but they were counting on you to make certain it wasn't stolen. And, and hundreds of millions of dollars were stolen on your watch. And also, I think DeSantis could make a very credible argument to say, with all due respect, I opened up Florida. You're the guy who empowered Fauci. Exactly. You're 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 the guy who made put Fauci in charge of our yeah. country. You, can, you in, fact, <laughs> right? in fact, you criticized me. Yeah. Uh, when I did it, and 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 this is an argument that all the Republicans can make. All yeah. of them can say, you know, I don't know if he runs Chris Sununu, you know, Greg Abbott. There, you know, you know, there are lots of people who can say, you know what, you're the guy that when Republicans were opening up their states, we're, we're criticizing people like us. We've got to wrap up, but the main issue here is that. Someone has to get over their fear of offending Donald Trump's base. That is that is what has always stopped people is they don't criticize Trump because they're afraid that the 
small but powerful percentage he controls will turn on them. But there's a pivotal moment. It's like a revolution. You know, there's a pivotal yeah. moment in a revolution where the people are no longer afraid right. of the powers that be. And that, that worm hasn't yet turned. And, and, and I, don't, I don't worry. I, I, I share your concern. There needs to be that kind of response. But it's not now. Because you're, you're more credible if, you, if people have a better understanding of who you are and what you're about. So I don't, I don't have a problem with Nikki Haley going out there and saying, here's what I did as governor and here's what I want to do as president. Or DeSantis saying, you know what, I'm really focused on my legislature where I'm trying to do X, Y, and Z. They're laying the predicate by expanding the amount of information that people have about them. And again, my, back to my point, he's going to come after them. And the, the counterpunch is more important than the punch. Yeah. And, you know, Trump has not helped himself by going after Ron DeSantis or, you know, sanctimonious or attacking Nikki Haley as being disloyal by simply getting in the race. Those were mistakes on his part. Let him make more of those mistakes and then pick the moment a little bit later on in the year where people have a better understanding of who they are and the counterpunch will be more powerful than the punch. Exit question for me. Let's say the majority of Democrats don't want Biden to be the nominee. Majority of Republicans don't want Trump to be the nominee. Take the two of them out of it and stack our bench against their bench. How do you feel about the future? Well, who is their bench? Well, they, the, the problem is they have a bench. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and think about it. These are the people who, who want to run but are being held up. Newsom of California. Granted, he's got he's got good hair, but it's, you know, he's weird. He does only, only state in the country to have run out of U-Holes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Great line, Mark. I was I was out in California and at a at a program in January, and the lieutenant governor came up to me and said, "Stop criticizing California." And I said, "Well, your governor is running ads in my state attacking Texas, so tell him to stop criticizing Texas." But you're right. But he is he wants to run, and he would be a player. Polis of Colorado, Amy Klobuchar, senator from Minnesota, wants to run. Whitmire of Michigan wants to run. Uh, Pritzker, with his gigantic Hyatt family, you know, Fortune. Fortune wants to run. We have Cooper of North Carolina, Murphy of, of of New Jersey, Cory Booker wants to run. Elizabeth Warren may run. The Clintonites are sort of land, uh, lining up behind uh, Mitch Landry. Uh, Pete Buttigieg wanted to run, but I'm not certain his train is going to be leaving the state. <laughs> It may have been derailed. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 you know, and I'm sure I've left out others, but they they got a lot of people. The who vice president of the United States. Well, I, you know, <laughs> I was talking about credible candidates. Uh, you know, yeah, she'll want to run if he doesn't run, but uh, but she will sink. You know, she, look, she didn't last as long as Marianne Williamson and Joaquin Castro, for God's sake. <laughs> or was it Julian? I can't remember which of the twins. But anyway, she, she you know, they, they got plenty of people that will want to run. And. And we've got a big bench too. I, I just think our bench is going to be, our bench is going to be better than ours. It's going to be easier for our bench to escape the overhang of Trump than it is for a Democrat to escape the overhang of Biden. Yeah, I think we've got an embarrassment of riches. Yeah. I think we've got so many great candidates yeah. waiting in the wings that we can just, as a party, move on. Move on. Uh, move on. Dot org. <laughs> we just started an organization. <laughs> the website's been taken. Thanks a ton, Carl. Thank you, Carl. Fantastic. And thank you for sparing the moment, really. We're grateful, as always. So, Mark, I actually spent a lot of time talking about this during our interview. I'm going to spend a lot more time talking about this. I really do worry about the battle between 1930s GOP and 1980s GOP. And maybe there's a 2020s GOP that could be better. We've got a pre-Pearl Harbor faction of the Republican Party that's making a comeback. 
it's absolutely true. But I don't like to think of them in that. Uh, this, this is not the comeback of Robert Taft. This is Republicans who are channeling their inner Ted Kennedy. All the policies of the Cold War, the Ronald, the Reagan Doctrine, the Reagan Revolution. You know, the fact that we've got Republicans who are saying, yeah, we should put defense cuts on the table at the start of a new Cold War with China. Forget what you care about Ukraine. You're telling me with tensions rising, with a rising China that's becoming more belligerent in the world, that you want to cut defense spending? Are you kidding me? No, it's um, amazing. And, and then, you know, the Ronald, what did Ronald Reagan do? You know, Ronald Reagan came in at a time in, the, in 1980 when people were tired of sending American troops around the world after Vietnam. And he had knew he had to confront Soviet communism and Soviet expansionism around the world. So he came up with the Reagan Doctrine, which was, we'll fund freedom fighters who will fight our enemies for us. But he also, he also put in place the largest defense buildup the United yeah. States had seen after the debacle at the end of the Vietnam War. And folks... I, I know we don't spend a lot of time on the nuts and bolts of this, but if there's one thing you can understand, it is that for the last almost 40 years, we have been living off that. Literally, right so now, we are using the weapons that Ronald Reagan gave us. Right. And, uh, and, and, haven't, and haven't once in that interim, in, even in fighting wars, ever rebuilt the Pentagon again. Yeah. And the fact that there are Republicans who are fine with that just seems to me to be... I want to cut it. Yeah. I want to cut it. No, they're, they're it, like the Manchurian candidates. They're people who are working for the other side. And then the, what did the Democrats say in the 1980s? Right, Ronald Reagan's going to start World War III. He's going to start a nuclear war. Remember, what was that movie with Jason Robards? Right. The day after. Oh, yeah. We're like, I remember watching that as a kid and being terrified of nuclear war. Ronald Reagan was going to bring us to you know, a nuclear holocaust. It's all the same arguments being made. This faction is a minority faction within the Republican Party, I think. The vast majority of Republican elected officials don't, don't agree with this, but they're gaining strength. And they're, they're, and they're persuading people. And, 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 no, and, and what it takes is people to push back and say, no, this is actually not what Republican foreign policy looks like. That was the Democrats' policy. Right. Here's, here's what a Republican foreign policy is. Right. Increase the defense budget. Peace through strength. You may want to make sure our sons and daughters aren't dying in the Taiwan Strait. Let's help the Ukrainians restore deterrence yeah. uh, after the debacle in, in Afghanistan and give Xi Jinping a second thought whether he should do it as your challenges. The policy is peace through strength. Right. And if we allow our enemies to win, then we project weakness, and that means we're going to be more likely to fight wars, not less. Absolutely. That is historically... But we've got to get our candidates who are willing to say that. Right. And that's and not be afraid, and not be cowed by Donald Trump. We are going to be watching that over the next month, because this is the time when we're going to see what the quality and nature of the Republican candidates is. We know who Joe Biden is. We know what the problem is. If we want to fix these problems, we need somebody who can win. And that means embracing not simply the values that we're talking about, not simply the posture that we're talking about, but can actually get it done. Right? We need to win that election. There's a, there's a path to it. Carl lays it out. And I think we've got a good shot. Well, we will have as good a shot as, as is the candidate that is put forward. That, that, at the end of the day, is up to us. There is a reason why we got our asses kicked in 2022, and it was because candidates who deserve to lose lost. Yes. Right? So, there we go. Right. Folks, if you agree, disagree, loved it, hated it, let us know. We love to hear from you. Take care. See you next week. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing us at whatthehell at AEI.org. Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at D. Pletka. And I'm at Mark Thiessen. That's Mark with a C.
please rate and review the podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, share it, comment on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.